warning here, isn't there? When you hear the word worship, what image comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Uh, I did a quick search on Google Images this week, and I got a whole host of images about uh, worship. Uh, The most common image was of people with hands in the air, uh, singing their praises to God uh, in church, presumably. Uh, Another common image was of the solitary person with hands in the air, having an experience of God of some description. Uh, Still, another common image was of people uh, of many different faiths gathered in their place of worship. Uh, It's true, isn't it, friends, that everyone worships something or someone. Uh, Even the atheist worships something, uh, although uh, it is a worship of the creation rather than the creator. But what is worship that pleases God? What is the worship that is acceptable to him? Uh, Well, we've come to the final part of Hebrews this morning. Uh, It's interesting that the author of Hebrews says uh, right at the end, I don't know whether you noticed, but he says that he's written to us briefly. Uh, It has been a rather long letter, uh, hasn't it? But obviously in the author's mind, he could have said a lot more. It's also true that at first glance, this final part of Hebrews seems like a whole bunch of uh, random, uh, unrelated uh, kind of instructions uh, to to the Hebrew Christians. But I want to suggest uh, this morning that this chapter is about the kind of worship that pleases God. Uh, I think the key is uh, chapter 12, verse 28. So if you have your Bibles open there in front of you, uh, turn to chapter 12, verse 28, which we finished with last week. Uh, For it says there, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, Now, there are two things I want you to see here. Firstly, notice that acceptable worship of God is motivated by gratefulness. Um, Gratefulness for receiving an unshakable kingdom which we saw last week, uh, comes through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the sprinkled blood uh, of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In other words, uh, Christian worship is all about uh, responding to God in thankfulness for what he has done for us already and given us already, rather than motivated by uh, trying to gain a right standing with God. Secondly, Notice that acceptable worship of God is offered with an attitude of reverence and awe, for our God, says the writer of Hebrews, is a consuming fire. Uh, We often forget this, don't we, friends? Uh, I think one of the dangers of preaching grace uh, so often, uh, which is the message of of the gospel, uh, is that we keep on telling each other, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, And we forget that God is also a God of judgment. But the only reason why we have experienced his grace is because God is also a God of judgment. It's just that his judgment, uh, the awesome consuming fire, fell on his son, Jesus, 
instead of us. But what is worship that is acceptable to God? Uh, What is worship that pleases God? Uh, Well, you might be surprised to see that the image that the, the author of Hebrews has in mind is that of loving your Christian brothers and sisters. That is acceptable worship. In other words, you cannot worship God vertically without loving Christian brothers and sisters horizontally. Uh, you can see that this is the case in verse 1, because the author of Hebrews says, chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Uh, it's interesting that he uses the word continue there, for it assumes that all Christian people have this love already. It's just that uh, we have to keep on exercising that love uh, all the more. But it's not just that you and I are to love other Christian people that we know. For in verse 2, the author says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, this was written during a time when uh, Christians were regularly displaced from their homes because of their Christian faith, uh, and therefore other Christian people would take them into their own homes, even though they did not know them. Uh, the reference there to angels is a reference to Abraham in the Old Testament who welcomed three strangers into his home, if you remember. And it turns out that those three strangers uh, were the the bringers of great blessing uh, to Abraham and his family. But the point here is that if you are a Christian person, then you and I um, are to love people uh, in the church, but not just limited to the people that we know, but strangers as well. But it's not just to strangers, it's also to Christian people who may um, be out of sight and therefore so easily out of mind. Uh, You can see there in verse 3 that the author of Hebrews says, Remember those in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Uh, Again, uh, this was written during a time when uh, uh, the Hebrew Christians would have seen uh, you know, people uh, in their own church being dragged away uh, to be thrown into prison for their faith. And so the encouragement here is not to forget about them, but to be one with them, to remember them, to walk in their shoes and to care for them. And so, friends, worship that is acceptable to God is not simply about the private time that we spend with God, uh, even though that is important, but it's worked out in love for other Christian brothers and sisters, not just the ones that we know, but even extending to strangers and those who may be out of sight. Uh, our love is, like to, is to be like you know, throwing a, a rock into a pond and seeing the, the little waves ripple out. It, it's to extend more and more uh, outside uh, to people who are strangers and out of sight. Uh, I once visited an, an early morning service at church. Um, it was called a, a worship service, but uh, when I went, um, no one spoke to one another. Uh, they all sat miles apart from each other, and after the service, I noticed that they just uh, shook hands with the minister and uh, you know, went back to their cars and back to their homes. 
Uh, I don't know what they thought they were doing at church. Uh, Perhaps some of them thought they were worshipping God. But it certainly isn't the kind of worship that God speaks about here, is it? But consider Bill, who leaves work early to be there for his growth group each week. He wants to do all that he can to encourage and build up his Christian brothers and sisters. And God would say to Bill, that is acceptable. Or consider Barbara, who has lots of friends at church. But every time you see Barbara, uh, you see her with strangers, sitting next to strangers, speaking with strangers, because she wants to welcome them. She often invites them to her home for lunch, even though she knows that there's not much in the pantry. Because what she's concerned about is not the quality of the food, but the quality of the love that comes from a knowledge of Jesus. And God would say to Barbara, that is acceptable. Or consider Bob, who has heard of the awful plight of Christians who have been thrown into prison in China and raped and tortured in Nigeria, and massacred in Sri Lanka. His heart goes out to them because he knows that he is one with them. And he decides to use his tax refund this year, not for his own pleasures, but for his Christian brothers and sisters in need. And God would say, that is acceptable. That is what is pleasing in my sight. Do you, and I, do you and I worship God like this, brothers and sisters? What is our life together like as a church? And so acceptable worship that God is pleased with involves a life of love, as we've seen. But you'll notice there that it also involves a life of purity. Uh, Now, you might have noticed that the first thing that the author of Hebrews speaks about uh, when it comes to purity is sexual purity. Uh, It's a big concern of the Bible, uh, not because, um, you know, sexual sins are somehow worse than any other sins, but sexual sins are more potent in the devastating effects it can have on the sinner as well as those who are related uh, to the sinner. Uh, Many of you will know the devastation I'm talking about. And so notice that a proper worship of God is always for our good. Such is the loving nature of God. But here, notice that the way we express sexual purity is to put a high value on marriage. Uh, In verse 4, if you have a look at verse 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honour among all. For marriage, as the permanent public union between one man and one woman, is the proper context in God's eyes for expressing um, sexual relations and sexual intimacy, according to God. Uh, Just as the, the creator of your kitchen appliances writes a manual telling you how it works best, well, the creator of sex and marriage says that this is the way it works best. However, I want you to see that marriage can be undermined, which is why the author commands in verse 4 that the marriage bed is to be undefiled. How can marriage be undefiled? 
oh, sorry, uh, un, uh, how can marriage be defiled or undermined? Well, you'll notice there that it can happen in one of two ways. Firstly, uh, marriage can be undermined from the outside um, as those who are not married engage in what the Bible calls sexual immorality, which uh, is any sort of activity that is intended to sexually arouse another person who is not your husband or your wife. Now, uh, I just want to say at this point uh, that we are all sexual failures uh, in this regard. Uh, There is not a person in this room who hasn't failed in this area, and uh, I include myself in this. And so it's important to keep in mind that even the worst of sexual failings can be forgiven through the sprinkled blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for those who turn to him in genuine repentance and faith. And yet, there is a serious warning here, isn't there, for those who are not married to make sure that you do not engage in sexual immorality, for that is unacceptable to God. And so, if you are dating... Do not do anything to arouse your girlfriend or your boyfriend sexually, for you are not married. Do not watch pornography or pseudo-pornography like the Game of Thrones, which incidentally uh, has hired porn uh, people in the porn industry to shoot some of their scenes. Because... It involves watching people in sexually explicit acts that you are not married to. I mean, think about it. You wouldn't think it acceptable before God to go to another person's place and peep in through the window and watch other people engaged in sexual acts, would you? And so why do you think it would be acceptable to God for us to watch that on a television screen? Do not do foolish things like going on overseas holidays with your boyfriend or girlfriend thinking that you will be strong enough to resist temptation. Because, uh, brothers and sisters, I have yet to meet someone who has been able to. Now, I don't say this to be a killjoy, but I say this because of verse 4 that says that if you are willfully and unrepentantly engaging in sexual immorality, then you will be judged by God. It is not worth giving up eternity for momentary pleasure. That's been a theme in Hebrews again and again, hasn't it? But friends, uh, the second way that marriage can be undermined is from the inside as well, isn't it? For the temptation within marriage is the temptation to be adulterous. However, here's the thing. It seems to me that adultery never happens simply overnight. I mean, those who commit adultery hardly ever wake up one morning and think to themselves, well, today I'm going to commit adultery, does it? No, it usually comes through years of neglect of the marriage Years of being too busy at work to spend time with family and your spouse, never investing in the marriage, never talking to your spouse. And then someone else comes along who 
catches your eye and you secretly begin thinking about them and starting to imagine a different life together with them. And all too often, it leads to unfaithfulness in the marriage. And I wouldn't be surprised if in in this room, uh, many of us have been tempted in this way. And so if you are a married person, please don't let this be you. Uh, I've met with Christian people who have either committed adultery or have been very near to committing adultery. And sometimes it feels to me that they think that they have somehow been driven to this. But no, God says that it's your responsibility to be faithful to your spouse. Again, verse 4 says that the willfully adulterous person an unrepentant, adulterous person will be judged by God. And so invest in your marriages. If your marriage is in trouble, then please have the humility to seek help. For in God's kindness, it is possible even for unhealthy marriages and marriages in deep trouble to be healed by his grace. Uh, So, friends, uh, we've seen that acceptable worship before God involves a life of purity, and especially sexual purity. But I want you to see that next, it also involves avoiding the love of money. Uh, You can see it there in verse 5, where the author of Hebrews says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Now, I I wonder whether this is here, because a love of money is uh, a sign of spiritual adultery, against God. Uh, in other words, it too is, a, is about a life of purity. You know, Jesus himself says that you cannot serve two masters, just like you cannot have two husbands or you cannot have two wives. You cannot serve both God and money. And to serve money and to love money is to express your discontent and my discontent at God. Notice that the author does not say, keep your life free from money. Uh, Christianity is not about becoming a monk or being a communist. But rather, he's speaking here about the love of money. It's about wanting more and more because you think that money will give you the, the, the kind of security and comfort and pleasure that can only be given by God himself. Further, the love of money is not just a temptation for the rich, but it's also a temptation for the poor. For if you remember, uh, this letter is written to Christians who have, uh, in the past, had their property plundered. And yet the author of Hebrews warns even them about the love of money. But it is a particular temptation for us as well, isn't it? If we're honest. For we are rich... And we so often want more riches for ourselves. I wonder whether that is true for you as it is of me. And frankly, it's exhausting. Have you ever pondered that? It's exhausting always feeling I need more and more money. It's exhausting setting myself impossible standards of living which I just have to keep up and therefore I need to work harder and harder to maintain that level. It's exhausting always having to have the best of everything because 
I desperately need other people to give approval to me. And I fear what they will think of me. It's always exhausting, chasing for more and more and more because we are never satisfied with the things that we have. And so what is the solution to the love of money? Well, it's to find my satisfaction and to find my confidence and contentment in God himself, who in verse 5 says that he will never leave me nor forsake me. There is something enormously liberating in finding uh, all that I need in the God of the Bible. For I don't have to then exhaust myself in chasing after things that one day will be shaken and will be no more, according to God. And I can confidently say with the psalmist in verse 6, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear, for what can man do to me? Well, friends, uh, we've seen that acceptable worship involves a life of love and a life of purity. But uh, interestingly, what the author of Hebrews says next is that acceptable worship has a lot to do with our attitude towards our leaders, our pastors, our growth group leaders, and so forth. Uh, Now, uh, I must admit, verses 7 to 19 are not very easy verses, and uh, I really had to wrestle Uh, with these verses this week to to, uh, try and understand it. Um, I don't know whether that was your experience during the week, but uh, I think it says some crucial things to us. Uh, So uh, let's take a deep breath and uh, have a look at this uh, last uh, section together. Uh, Notice that it begins there by speaking about past leaders. Uh, In verse 7 it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Uh, Obviously, this is speaking about past leaders who brought the word of God to the Hebrew Christians so that they put their faith in Jesus. Uh, It's probably true that these leaders were dead uh, when the author of Hebrews wrote this letter. And so the Hebrew Christians are told to remember them and to consider them and to imitate them in their lives. Now, I used to think, therefore, that this passage was about us remembering uh, past leaders in our lives. You know, you can probably think of that person who first uh, shared the gospel with you. Uh, It could have been a a Christian pastor. It could have been your your parents uh, or or, or another leader in the church, which is all well and good. But uh, I want to suggest that the leaders that the author is speaking about here are not just any leaders, but the apostles uh, and the the apostolic band who brought the gospel to these early Christians. And so this is an encouragement to not just look back at our past church leaders, but to keep looking back to the teaching and example of the apostles themselves. Uh, This, I think, makes very good sense of the famous verse in verse 8, which says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For the Jesus Christ that was uh, proclaimed to these Christians in the past was the real Jesus. And that Jesus is the same now and forevermore. 
And so you see, we are to be people who keep on looking back to the teaching and example of the apostles and make sure that we do not depart from the things that they tell us about Jesus in the scriptures. For you see, Christianity is not about novelty. It is not a faith that keeps on looking for new things and new exciting things apart from Jesus. But rather it is a faith that keeps on looking back to the apostles, for they were the first eyewitnesses who witnessed the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and therefore are able to tell us about who this Jesus is and his significance for us. Uh, That's why the author of Hebrews warns us against drifting away from the teaching of the apostles. Uh, In the case of the Hebrew Christians, they were were the ones who were tempted, if you remember, to uh, drift away back into Judaism with all its religious rituals, such as uh, sacrifices and the eating of certain foods and uh, religious ceremonies. And in verse 9, he warns against being led away by diverse and strange teachings such as this. Why is this all so important? Well, it's important because if you want to offer acceptable worship to God, then you can only do it with a heart that has been changed by the grace of the real Jesus. You see, religious rituals like animal sacrifices and uh, offering food um, and religious ceremonies and uh, all the external things uh, that... Uh, that we can do will never change our heart so that we love people deeply from the heart. It will make you religious, but it will never change your heart so that you and I repent of sexual immorality and greed and live a life of purity. No, it is only the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ which can change my heart. And that's why in verse 9, the author of Hebrews continues by saying that it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who have been devoted to them. And so what do you need to do to receive such grace? Well, uh, you need to go to the cross Uh, The altar that you see there in verse 10, um, that uh, the author says we have as Christians, is not the altar uh, in the Jerusalem temple where animals were sacrificed. Uh, No, uh, that altar is speaking about the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ was sacrificed in our place so that you and I can be cleansed from sin and draw near to God with confidence. But notice where this cross is. In verse 11, it is outside the camp. Uh, When Jesus died, he died outside the camp. He died outside the city of Jerusalem in a place called Golgotha. He was outside the city and the temple where the religious ritual happened. And so the author says, go to Jesus, not the temple. Go to Jesus at the cross to receive grace. Leave the religious rituals behind and go to Jesus. But because Jesus died outside the city, going to Jesus also means going to a place 
of shame and to endure shame with him. Because we know that we do not belong to an earthly city and live for earthly glory, but we are the people who belong to a heavenly city and are called to live for the glories that are to come. And so are you and I willing to go to this cross? For if you are, then you will be changed from the heart, and the evidence of this will be acceptable worship before God. Which is summarized in verse 16 and uh, 15 and 16 for us, isn't it? Uh, acceptable worship is the continual offering up of a sacrifice of praise to God, which is not simply talking about our praising God uh, for an hour at church on Sunday, but it's actually the fruit of lips that continue to speak of Jesus and acknowledge his name in this world. For it is only those whose hearts have been changed at the cross who will speak about Jesus, even at great cost to themselves. And further, it is the deep love of others that is willing to do good and to share what we have with those around us. And so this uh, section concludes in verse 17 by commanding us to obey and submit to our present leaders. Uh, not because they are somehow more special than others, but it's because you can see there that they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. And they are the ones who, if they are preaching about the same Jesus that was preached by the apostles, they are the ones who have a part to play in uh, the eternal welfare of your soul and will one day give an account to God for the way they have exercised that leadership. And so obey them and submit to them so that their life may be a joy rather than a burden. Uh, now, I feel a little bit awkward saying that, to be honest, um, from the front. Um, and uh, I'm not saying these things because, um, you know, I've been treated terribly at this church or I have an axe to grind with, with anyone. So if you think I'm looking at you in particular, um, it's not the case. Um, I know friends who are ministering in very difficult churches uh, who do not obey them and do not submit to them. And uh, I give thanks uh, often for uh, God's kindness in uh, helping me to be a leader of this particular congregation. And uh, it's especially joyful uh, when I see people who are willing to be partners in the gospel uh, in this place, as we've seen today. Uh, but I need to preach uh, this part of Hebrews 13 because even in this congregation, which uh, I personally find a great joy to be a part of, it is not out of the question that there are some who disregard and distance themselves from the leaders of this church. And so is your attitude towards the leaders something that is acceptable to God? Uh, how do you speak about your leaders whether it be your pastor or your growth group leaders. Not simply when you are speaking to them face to face, 
but when you're speaking about them to your family or your close circle of friends? What is the kind of conversation and the tone of your conversations at that point? It's entirely okay to disagree with leaders and to have that discussion, but what God is concerned about here is your attitude towards the leadership of his church. Uh, Well, friends, uh, let me finish up. Uh, This week, as I thought about this passage, I went to my wife and uh, I asked her a question. I said, is there something that I have given you in the past that you have not liked? Uh, She thought about it for a while and then she said, gerberas. She said, I like tulips and roses, not gerberas. Uh, Now, I must admit, this hurt me a little bit because I've been giving her gerberas for the last 16 years of my life. But you see, it's not what I think she will like that matters, is it, in the end? It's what she actually likes and finds pleasing that matters. Uh, I wonder whether it would be good for us to ask the same question to God this morning. Is there something I have given you in worship that you have not liked? Sometimes it's quite possible that we have tried to worship God our own way, with our own thoughts about worshipping God is to be like. But are you someone who is deeply concerned for other Christians so that your love extends to them more and more? Are you someone who is concerned for sexual and material purity before God? Are you someone who has the fruit of lips that praise and acknowledge the name of Jesus before men. Uh, Not only on Sunday, but even on Monday and through the rest of the week. For your heart has been changed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose finished work on the cross has given you a kingdom that you cannot lose and is unshakable. Let's pray to God that he will give us uh, such a heart that we would worship him acceptably. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through his finished work on the cross, we have received an unshakable kingdom that will remain for all eternity. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to be the people who live our lives in thankfulness, offering to you acceptable worship in reverence and awe. Help us to be people who gladly speak and acknowledge your name in this world. And please help us to do good and to share uh, the things we have with others. Uh, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be those who love uh, not only our circle of friends, but who love strangers, uh, who indeed love the world and desire for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.